Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And I want to start with what happened Tuesday night in Spokane, Washington. Killy and Tilly return. Killy and Tilly is back. The season forward, he was limited to just 15 games last season because of ankle surgery. Didn't play until January. Never really got comfortable. Only averaged 6.2 points in 16.6 minutes per contest, even though he was heading into last season. Gonzaga's leading returning score. Regardless of the lack of production, the Zags still won 33 times last season, made the Elite Eight, mostly because Brandon Clark was amazing. Fast forward to this offseason. Killian Tilly in an operating room again. Had knee surgery. So he missed the Zags' first four games, but he made his debut Tuesday night. Was productive. Scored 15 points, grabbed eight rebounds in 27 minutes during Gonzaga's 72-66 victory over Texas Arlington. So UT Arlington was competitive in a tough spot on the road. Good for them. Shouts to Chris Ogden, but Nornander, let's focus on the Zags. How nice is it to have Killian Tilly back in our lives? Killian Tilly is back. It's really good for Gonzaga. And the big question mark with Gonzaga this season is if Tilly can be healthy and at his best throughout. Because if he can, then Gonzaga is going to have a chance to make a Final Four. I mean, I've, I've spoken with Mark Few about Killian Tilly multiple times, five, six, seven times over the past few years because a uh, few believes that at his healthiest and at his best that Killian Tilly has been Gonzaga's most valuable asset, and that's including when they've had the studs like Brandon Clark and Rui Hachimura. Um, Tilly being involved and being reliable is a big-time thing for Gonzaga, for his NBA potential. Um, but we just wait and see. I mean, I really hope this is not the case. But with Tilly in particularly, um, there is concern given how many issues he's had with injuries. Can he dodge that this season? Can he be back and steady and handle a significant workload going forward? It remains to be seen. I certainly hope that is the case because he's also a very fun player to watch. I, th I think defensively, um, he might even be a little bit underrated in terms of what he can do overall. But just 15 games last season, he played 36 the season before and 33 the season before that, but he wasn't a starter. And so now as he enters into his senior season, um, I think he's the key. Gonzaga overall, I mean, I've, I'm in on them in general. I mean, Philip Petrusev could be an NBA kind of talent. Um, Admon Gilder will be a nice piece. He's not going to be the kind of guy who is um, going to drop, you know, 20 on a given night and is the automatic go-to. Drew Timmy's a fun uh, encouraging freshmen, and I understand that most of our listeners have not yet seen Gonzaga because they've played Alabama State, Arkansas Pine Bluff, North Dakota. They had a game Friday at Texas A&M where they killed Buzz Williams' Aggies, but it was a late tip and it wasn't that interesting. So and it's a Friday night, so I doubt many of you saw that. And then they went against UT Arlington. So off to another strong start, 5-0. and They got an easy one, Cal State Bakersfield. The story with Gonzaga is not who they're playing, but who is available. Getting Killian Tilly back is no small thing, in particular because, uh, unless I am mistaken, uh, Everyone realized he was back in the fold when the Gonzaga official GP, when the Twitter account uh, like showed that to me. So unless you were in the building, like I learned that Tilly was available when I saw on Twitter that he was actually playing. That's no small deal. Hopefully he's available going forward. Gonzaga's next real challenge, its first one, so to speak, will when it play when it will be when it plays at Washington on Sunday, December eighth.
Um, and they didn't like ease him into anything. He was in the starting lineup, played 27 minutes, and again was productive, 15 points, 8 rebounds. Go back to two seasons ago. I think this is important to remember. He was very good, averaged 12.9 points and 5.9 rebounds. This is the 2017-18 season. He's in the same front court in that season with a future top 10 pick, Rui Hachimura. He played more than Rui, mm-hmm. scored more than Rui, rebounded more than Rui, was better than Rui. And that's what allowed him to be uh, Gonzaga's leading returning scorer heading into last season. And then he's got uh, the ankle and then he doesn't play till January. And it's a little bit, for obviously different reasons, but a little bit like Daniel Purefoy. Um, you know, he missed all that time. Right. And when you try to join a team mid-season, they've already got their rotations set. Um, people are comfortable. You're not. Purefoy was very good as a freshman at Auburn, 11.5 points. Then he misses the entire 2017-18 season because of the FBI investigation and then had to miss the first nine games of last season. And then he comes back on December 15th, and he only averaged 3.7 points in 12.3 minutes per game for the Final Four team that Bruce Pearl coached. And if you talk to Bruce about that, you know what he'll tell you is um, – he just wasn't the same play. He missed so much time, and he wasn't the same player, and he tried to join the team. Now, he's back to being good again this season, but it's it's more difficult than I think people realize for players to join a team midseason after they haven't been practicing and haven't been playing. Um, and that was an issue for Killian Tilly for one reason last season, an issue for Daniel Purifoy for another reason last season. But now uh, Tilly is back. He only missed four games this season. Um, it's still November, and if he is um, – I sort of wrote this. If he's um, back to his pre-injury level or close to it, or how about this, maybe better, then you're exactly right. Gonzaga's got a chance to go to the Final Four, which is amazing. It'd be the second time in a four-year span. But check this out. Last season, this team, again, 33 wins goes to the Elite Eight. They lose two top 21 picks to the NBA draft, Rui and Brandon Clark. They lose their top four scores period. Still, right now, they're sixth at Ken Palm, number three in adjusted offensive efficiency. That's pretty amazing that Mark's able to do that. And their average margin of victory is 29.6. Now, through five games, and they haven't faced the meat of the schedule, I get all that, but Gonzaga and Few have developed uh, (laughs) a habit that is extremely hard to duplicate in recent seasons, and that is just destroying teams in terms of margin of victory. Now, obviously, I get that some of that's a factor of the league it plays in, but still you got to do it because there are plenty of other teams that play in bad leagues that aren't able to do that. Um, We'll see if that can continue this season because the West Coast Conference, uh, right now it ranks 8th at Ken Palm, and we're about... We're more than a tenth of the way through the season already in terms of game tonnage. The amount of games that have been played. We are more than 10% of the way uh, through the college basketball season. Gonzaga's undefeated. St. Mary's looks solid. Obviously a preseason top 25 level team. It dropped a game by two to Winthrop. uh, But overall, I still generally believe in St. Mary's. BYU has looked formidable without its best player. Keep in mind, like TJ Hawes is playing. He's doing doing great. That's fine. But Yoeli Child still will not be back until... Maybe that Nevada game in mid-December. BYU's 3-1 and just won uh, with a crazy ending last Friday against Houston. It was a big win. And then San Francisco, which you know inherited an assistant to the head coaching position uh, from last season because Kyle Smith took the Washington State job. Still, San Fran is, is 5-0, and and Pepperdine is, you know, it played USC close. So uh, the grander point I'm making, Parrish, is Gonzaga starts hot out of the gate again. 
only UT Arlington has given him a game. That's the only team. And, and again, credit to, to Ogden for being able to do that with, uh, with the Mavericks there. But the WCC, Gonzaga could benefit from this. If Tilly stays healthy and they're pretty much like a top 10 level team again, but the WCC is in that, you know, 7, 8, 9 overall ranking within Ken Palm's uh, conference rankings, and you do see BYU and St. Mary's be legitimate, uh, and San Francisco stays solid, Pepperdine makes a jump, it could help Gonzaga's case all the more so because it might be able to inherit just a couple more quad one and quad two wins if it can indeed get those in league play. So just keep an eye on Gonzaga. Wanted to give you guys an early word on that. And the Tilly, I'm glad we started on it because Tilly returning is no small thing. Having him versus not having him, in my opinion, is the difference between Gonzaga having a Final Four shot and not. So while Killian Tilly was doing that in Spokane, Anthony Lamb was putting on a show against Virginia in Charlottesville. And we'll get into that next. But first, check this out. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. It's Chip Patterson from CBS Sports. If you're a diehard fan of college football, then you don't need me to remind you that this sport knows no offseason. And let's be honest, if you're a diehard fan of college football, I kind of expect you to already be subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast. But don't worry if you missed out on the lock fights, late night instant reactions, and emergency podcasts in 2019. There's still room for you to join us. Results on the field in the fall are the product of pieces that were set in place in the winter. So don't miss out on the moves, news, and headlines that will determine the 2020 National Championship. Download and subscribe to Cover 3 Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. So this week is pretty lame as far as interesting matchups go, but we got a competitive game Tuesday night, one that I don't know that we knew it was going to be as competitive as it actually was. Virginia beat Vermont 61-55. Nice win for the Cavaliers, but it was Anthony Lamb. He took 14 three-pointers, made seven of them, finished with 30 points. Now, keep in mind, Syracuse's entire team only scored 34 points against Virginia earlier this season. So Anthony Lamb getting 30 by himself, pretty wild. 25 of those points came in the second half. At one point, he scored 17 straight points for Vermont. It was reminiscent on some level of Carson Edwards getting 42 against Virginia in last season's Elite Eight. Norlander, is this the type of thing that put Anthony Lamb on the radar of college basketball fans and helps people properly understand just how consistently good Vermont's been in recent years? Uh, to a certain extent, because of the opponent here and because they kept it close. Now, to be, to be fair, it would have been much better and I'd have to imagine you agree with this, Paris. Like, were you able to watch the game last night? I did not watch it. Okay, so a lot of people couldn't watch it because it was like an ACC Network bonus game, and it was on Fox Sports Regional Television. So I was only able to watch it on my computer by clicking on the ESPN scoreboard and clicking the watch because my cable provider gives me the ACC Network. That's the only reason why I could watch it. So 
if you were a Vermont fan that lives in Memphis, you can't you can't watch the game. And shout out if there are any Vermont fans that live in Memphis there. Like, good luck. Good luck on that one. You know what I'm saying, I, though. I, I, I assume I could have watched. What time? I think the game started seven. before I got home. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. So yeah. it was a 7 o'clock and Eastern I, tip. And yeah. I got home, and I had, like, family stuff. And then uh, uh, I, I was locked in on East Tennessee State and Kansas. And so course, what, yeah. I didn't actually see the game, but I was following it via Twitter and uh, was very aware that Anthony Lamb was doing stuff. He was doing stuff, yeah. And trust me, I'm not trying to uh, – <laughs> checking to make sure you're watching UVM Vermont in a mid-November. <laughs> but my, my greater point is this for your question. Um, if that game had been available on ESPN or ESPN2 uh, or was just more prominently displayed, I think it would have triggered it even more. I mean, yes, Vermont's been great in recent seasons. Anthony Lamb um, regarded, like, if you're the kind of listener that was listening to our podcast in the offseason and you're the kind of listener that would read CBSSports.com preseason content, and you would have seen Anthony Lamb was on our top 101 players and all that good stuff. Um, but for him to do what he did, uh, extremely impressive because, I mean, a couple things on Lamb here. I, I, I had the, the opportunity to, to meet and talk with Vermont coach John Becker this summer because I went back to South Burlington, Vermont, where I grew up um, to meet up with some, some old high school friends for a high school reunion. And it just so happened that the very night that that was happening, John Becker, who obviously lives there, was, uh, was out and about. And I got to sit down with him and, and talk with him about the team expectations and Anthony Lamb. And when I did that, he said, Anthony has cha- – like." Typical stuff, but still it takes a lot to do this kind of thing. Has changed his diet. Um, wait until you see him this upcoming season. Has, has, has shed uh, shed some of the cushion, changed his body, is looking – he's been a great player, and he is looking, you know, all the more impressive. I can't wait to see what he's able to do with the guys that surround him this season. So you may, you take a mental note. Okay, we'll see. Let's see what Anthony Lamb looks like. Um, and sure enough, like he's cut. He right now ranks ninth – in Ken Palm's Player of the Year algorithm, I, that he might be able to maintain that if they really want to funnel everything through him. They relied on him out of necessity against Virginia, um, but he does take. I mean, he takes a lot of threes. He's got to prove he's got that long distance shot. He still does not have it. He's shooting ten of thirty nine from three point range so far this season. That's twenty five point six percent. Last season, he was thirty six point five percent on one hundred thirty seven attempts. And the first two years, I mean, he was shooting barely over one three per game. That's the one key for Anthony Lamp. If he can become the first player in the history of UVM basketball to be drafted in the NBA, and it is becoming something that can be possible. Um, Proving that he can have a reliable shot beyond 18 feet is going to be necessary to that. General point on the game and the teams involved, Virginia, I had it earlier this morning. So Virginia, first of all, credit to Vermont for dropping 55 at Virginia's place. GP, I over, under, and they're going to have some good teams coming there, but honestly, Virginia, 34-34-42 allowed before this. Vermont gets 55 at JPJ Arena. Over, under, 7.5 teams scoring more than 55 at Virginia this season. I actually might take the under there because Virginia leads the nation in points allowed per per, per game. They are obviously the number one defense uh, in adjusted defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. Right now, the Wahoos, 79.9 points allowed adjusted per 100 possessions. That's an absurd number. It will go up because that that is so far ahead of anyone in the history of Ken Palm's database. It's actually outrageous. Um, so credit to Vermont for even getting 55. Anthony Lamb kept him in it. A very strong performance. Your Carson Edwards stuff was not off the mark there. So Vermont's just a, t- a team to keep. A very close eye on. They could become they could become the best mid-major team in America this season, and if that's the case, and they can run the table in the America East, 
Parish. I am loving talking Vermont, given that I grew up there. We almost never give this much time to the Catamounts. Shouts to them. Shouts to Smuggler's Notch. Shouts to Sugarbush. Vermont has a chance to have its best seed ever. And that would have been a huge seed bump situation, by the way, if they'd been able to win. Don't deny me there. they got to get the wins, though. But the potential for this team to be like a 10 seed level if they take care of business against the teams they absolutely should. You know, it's uh, it's it's Vermont, so it doesn't register um, like, I don't know, a bigger name would. But, you know, they're 67th at Ken Palm right now. That's a top 70 team. That's better. That Ken Palm rating is is better than four ACC schools right now. It's It's better than... Um, well, trivia time me. Trivia time me. Do you know him? Oh, yeah. Well, I got him right here in front of me. All right. Let me try and get these. I'm going to try and go four for four right off the bat. Okay. okay. Better than Wake Forest? Correct. Better than Boston College? Correct. Better than... Um, <laughs> better than f- two other ones, man. Uh, okay. Wouldn't be them. Wouldn't be... Nah. Jeez, how one of, them, one of them has a great football program. So better, uh, better than Miami? Um, no, Miami is sixtieth. Oh, okay. Better than Clemson? Better than Clemson? Clemson right now is sitting at seventy-three. And there's one more. Don't. Uh, I'll try and. Ju- I'm gonna just guess this in the next like ten seconds, but don't give me a hint here. Um, not Syracuse, not Duke, not Carolina. Not Florida State, not NC State, not Virginia. Maryland's not in the league anymore. This is actually difficult here. Who am I? When when you can't look, who on earth? It's an ACC school in a major city. In a major city. Oh, Georgia Tech. Jesus Christ, no. It's not Georgia Tech. It, well, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech okay. Georgia Tech's <laughs> in a major city. Okay, it's in Georgia Atlanta. Tech, <laughs> okay, so it's not Georgia, Georgia Tech. Tech. 62. It's, a, it's an ACC school in a major city with a football team called the Steelers. Oh, oh wow. I actually, okay, so Pitt, I, I, uh, I wouldn't have thought that Pitt was that low at this point in the season. Okay. Pitt's 83 right now. You, you gave me a JC blast for even suggesting that it might be Georgia <laughs> Tech. No, that's actually shocking that Vermont is is lower than Georgia Tech right now. Uh, so uh, so this is a, my point is this is a quality opponent. This is a good win for Virginia. I know that the narrative connected to it on Twitter was, ooh, Virginia's in trouble. And, and obviously, if you're Virginia, the reigning national champions, you don't want to lose a home game to Vermont. But that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good Vermont team. Four and one, got a win over St. John's, 67th at Ken Palm, clear favorite in the America East. Um, how about this? So they've won at least 27 games each of the past three seasons. I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for people to have proper appreciation for what John Becker's been able to do. Yeah. 45-3 and three in his past 48 league games. That's wild. I don't care what league Jeez. you're in. That's inc- I didn't realize it was that good. That's obscenely good. That is that, – Parrish, that, Mark Few would be the only one that's close, and I don't think he has that – few amount of losses in his last 48 at WCC play. Maybe he does, but yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. Also, Vermont lost, but it prior to that, started 4-0. The first time the team had been 4-0 since 77-78. 
Um, they were able to win at St. John's. Um, that was uh, only the second time, I guess, in school history that they had defeated a Big East team, the previous being when they defeated Syracuse in the tournament, Sorrentine from the parking lot, uh, 2005. And then how about this? This is just a local, a little, a, a local point of pride for UVM. Uh, given who who the school can recruit, like you stay fairly regional for the most part. UVM is twenty eight and one in its last twenty nine games against teams from the state of New York. That's in, that's extremely impressive and something that matters when you are a John Becker and you are trying to continue to keep Vermont not just at the level where it's one or two in the America East, but fighting for getting into the tournament and winning. You beat out that many schools twenty eight out of twenty nine games. Extremely impressive. Uh, good on them. Parish. I don't know if you have any more thoughts on Lamb or Vermont, but I do want to ask you this. I, mean, I think the answer is no, but the listeners deserve. To, to know the answer to this. Have you ever listened to a Fish album? Even I'm not even going to say front to back because I know the answer to that is no, but have you ever even like sat down and tried to listen to like three or four Fish songs like consecutively? Sure. I mean, I've, I've got friends who were in that scene, you know? Like, I, uh, Oh, uh, wait, what? What? You think it's crazy that I would have friends who listen to Fish? No, no. When you, like, like when you say I got friends that are in that scene, that means like – they were hitting up like ten shows a year, like traveling with the band, kind of thing. Like, sure, like you know, whether it was fish, widespread panic, you know, that go. whole that whole scene. Like, uh, let's go, <laughs> well, you know, let's go on tour mindset. You know, who's a massive fish fan? Uh, I actually I know a lot of people, but uh, the CBS connection would be one Will Brinson. But who are you going to say? Adam Zucker. CBS Adam Zucker. Sports. Yes, I'm very aware of this because we have discussed we have discussed fish on multiple occasions. He is he is big time into Trayanco, no doubt about it. Yep. Right. So um, I would not consider myself a fish fan, but I'm aware of their existence and um, of how much the people who love them actually love them. Very cool. All right. I'm going to dodge all attempting fish puns and just shout out South Burlington High School. And I'm good on Vermont for now. If, if you're good, I'm going to be seeing them at Yale Sunday, December 1st. If Anthony Lamb goes for like 47 points, maybe we'll talk about it then. But yeah, do keep an eye. We're telling you now, nice and early, Vermont might be the best mid-major team in America and certainly capable of winning a tournament game when we get to March if they keep this up. So there's nothing great on tap from a matchup perspective in the next few days. How about this? We don't actually have another game between two currently ranked teams until next Wednesday. Mm. Trivia time. Can you name the game? Is it is it quasi-gettable? I don't know. Okay. I, <laughs> I, I would not be able to get it if I didn't look it up. Uh. By the way, I think I feel like trivia time is more like historical facts, and when you're asking me to ha- something that happens in the future, like you're kind of bending the rules of trivia time. Like, just yeah. okay, it's an opening round game uh, in the oh. battle for Atlantis. Okay, um, is Seton Hall involved? It is um, number thirteen, Seton Hall against Levitt, Oregon. Ah, oh, that's the, and that is such a quality. First round game because if you'll notice, those who might have been looking at the schedule this weekend, as we're about to talk about what's going down in New York and others, uh, because college basketball season started earlier in November than it usually does, you actually we have the benefit of getting these tournaments. We got some this week, and then obviously all the Thanksgiving week ones. So we've got them spread out. But you'll notice that the first round of those almost always stinks. Like the the Charleston tournament that Villanova's playing in. No, is it Villanova? No, Xavier. Anyway, the point is the best possible matchups for those are obviously in the title game because they try and build them that way. But that usually means that those quarterfinal games aren't that good. So Battle for Atlantis by far 
the best of the November tournaments, uh, evidenced by the fact that you get the Ducks versus the Pirates right there, right off the bat to start the tourney. Now, on that same day, next Wednesday, we will have the title game of the Maui Invitational. And it could theoretically be number three Michigan State against number four Kansas, but that's not set yet. But either way, we don't have a game between two currently ranked teams in the AP poll um, again until next Wednesday. But the 2K Classic is Thursday night. Kind of intriguing. Doubleheader at Madison Square Garden. It's number 22 Texas against Georgetown. Number one Duke against Cal. I'd like to split those up and maybe do it Duke against Texas and Cal against Georgetown, but they didn't ask my opinion. So anything interest you there? Well, uh, okay, yeah, uh, because I'll be going Friday. Um, so we will obviously have a Friday podcast, and we'll talk about whatever is necessary to talk about to preview, uh, even if briefly, because we should get Duke hopefully versus Texas or, uh, you know, Texas Georgetown, the winner of that. I mean, Georgetown Duke is solid too, but Texas is the better team there. Um, you're not wrong, Parrish, by the way. There's, I mean, Thursday, this is a weird week for college sports in general. I mean, the college football slate, I think, is putrid. You get what, Ohio State, Penn State, and that might be it. And then college basketball, unfortunately, even though you've got a few of these events, like Friday night might give you something, but there's just not quite enough there that I was hoping that would be there. I mean, Thursday is barren. So Texas-Georgetown is the biggest game to monitor um, by far. Georgetown, capable of winning 3-1 and one at this point. Had a weird bad loss by 15 at home against Penn State. Um, most recently played Sunday and defeated Georgia State. They got a very entertaining backcourt there. Georgetown's a bit of a mess, but they're fun to watch. Uh, Omar Yurtseven has been... Omer, year seven, I should say, has been uh, pretty solid to start to start the season. Uh, the senior, obviously, formerly from NC State, big man in the middle. Um, they're Georgetown. I've seen a little bit of them. They've they've used him, and then they've combined Mac McClung, and then a, I'm way in on James Akinjo. He's been a little bit shaky to start. Forty one point four percent from two point range, and has only hit five of his seventeen three point attempts this year. But if Akinjo and McClung really get going and clicking, they can uh, they can be a, a very fun watch. So that will be. And that's the game to watch on Thursday. Texas has yet to lose. It has the really impressive win, probably a top three or four win of the season of anyone in college basketball so far. They beat Purdue almost two weeks ago, and now they get a, a real cha- uh, challenge here. And then if they win, you would think they would play Duke because Duke plays Cal, and Cal's not good whatsoever. Uh, Andrew Jones continues to be a great story. He's shooting 41% from three-point range, and he's earning uh, significant minutes. Like He's all the way back. Uh, teams up well with Matt Coleman. So... Uh, Last thing I'll say on it is if you're a Texas fan and you're a Texas fan that has some frustrations with what the team hasn't been yet under Shaka Smart, this is the kind of game where it's like, don't lose to Georgetown. Please just get the win here so we can get a chance against Duke and we don't have to play Cal because you want to build up that resume. People, A lot of people think that Texas can be top 25 level. Um, that is by far the biggest one. And then the winners play on Friday and the losers play each other on Friday as well at MSG. I will be at that Friday night, but not Thursday. Also, if you go back in time a little bit when that Georgetown job was opened, one of the names that was loosely connected to it. You're right. Was Smart. Now, I, I, ultimately, I just think he wasn't ready to leave Texas under those circumstances because he was coming off, I believe, a, a not so great season. But um, that's another storyline. And then, you know, I know he's done it before, but still, Patrick Ewing coaching in the garden is kind of cool. I hadn't, I hadn't, that even dawned on me. Uh, I guess he's, but he's, it is cool, but he's done it previously. Yeah, because yeah, sure. Johns. But yeah, that is a, uh, that is another uh, another cool little subplot there, and I think just you know twenty seconds here on, on Ewing, like I've gotten, I think he's doing a solid job. Like this is to me already given uh, 
recruiting wise, and then just the way the program's going. It was fifteen fifteen this first season, uh, nineteen and fourteen last season, ninety nine in the league. I don't think I don't think Georgetown will be a tournament team this season. But even if it isn't, uh, I still like the direction that the program is. Like, you would agree, right? Like I, yeah. to me, like he's getting a longer leash anyway, Parrish. But I I think that Georgetown is heading. Generally speaking, where it should be under Ewing, this is not uh, this is not a disaster by any means. No, if you look at you know guys who came back to coach their alma maters, it's it's sort of a, a mixed bag, right? Chris Mullen, not so great. Fred Hoiberg, terrific. Penny, obviously, off to an incredible start in terms of recruiting and and making the program relevant. Um, and and Patrick's in there somewhere, but like in you know, probably below Penny and Fred, but certainly above Chris. He's doing a good job. He's doing a rock-solid job from, from my perspective. I'm a little detached from it, obviously. Like, I don't see the day-to-day. But if you were asking me, is Patrick Ewing doing a good job, I would, I would say, yeah, I think so. All right, I got a trivia time for you. Okay. Hey, let me say one, one thing uh, quick, because the one loss um, yeah. for Georgetown is um, that Penn State loss you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you're exact. You don't want to go lose by 15 points to Penn State. But I will say – um, Penn State's 26th at Ken Palm right now. Pat Chambers, past three seasons, I know they haven't made the NCAA tournament, and my man lives on the hot seat. But 2018, they finished 19th at Ken Palm. 2019, number 43 at Ken Palm. 2020, number right now, uh, they're number 26 at Ken Palm. So that's a three years, top 45 at Ken Palm. At Penn State, arguably, not even arguably, one of, and perhaps the toughest, uh, power five men's basketball job in the country and like he's doing a rock solid job too and I know he always has to answer questions about not making the NCAA tournament but Penn State's not bad that's the point I don't disagree with you they they aren't they aren't bad but I think Georgetown just you know I was expecting a little bit of a stronger performance there I'm also more of a seller on Penn State than probably than than anyone and I'm willing to be wrong as always okay um, to wrap up the pot I've got a Duke related trivia time for you okay Let's go, let's go, let's go. Okay, so Duke is back. They're the number one team. It's the number one team in the AP Top 25 this week, um, resuming the spot it had when it closed out the end of the regular season last season. Some may not realize that the AP Top 25, actually the last set of rankings that come out, are right before the tournament starts. There is not, uh, I believe football does it differently, there is not a set of AP rankings that come out once the tournament settles. So, in terms of rankings... Duke was the number one team in college basketball at the end of last season because that's where it set going into the tournament before it didn't make the Final Four, yada, yada. So now it's back at number one. Duke, so a couple of, couple of questions for you. Uh, see how close you can get, and this will inform the listeners. Duke, in getting to number one, extends its men's Division One record in terms of most weeks in school history at number one in the AP Top 25. How many weeks do you think that Duke, in its history, has been the number one team in college basketball? Seven million. You're just a little high. Okay. You're just and and I, I encourage listeners to play along as well. So this is not including obviously off season. In a given season, there are what twenty weeks in a season. Um, like like nobody knows the answer to that question except for the Duke SIT. That's correct. But I just want <laughs> just what what do you think the number is? And then we'll get to something that's more gettable after that. Just just what do you, what would you think the number is? Four million. You're still a little high, Paris. Just <laughs> are you afraid of saying like three thousand and it being two thousand? No, I'm not afraid of anything. I just have no context for that. I couldn't possibly. I mean, I could guess. Okay, you ready? How many is the question? How many weeks has Duke been number one? Yep. I'm gonna say um, <laughs> 
22. How about this? It's more than double that. How about this, you idiot? No, it's not. The answer is 143. See, I'm about to say 147 because I was looking at the wrong number. Close to double. Facts matter. Good job, Matt. 147, which is the record. The number two team is at 134, and the number three team is at 125. What okay. team is number two all-time in weeks at number one in the history of the AP Top 25? Kentucky. Kentucky is third at 125. What team is number two? North Carolina. It is not North Carolina. In fact, are you ready for this absurd stat? You're not ready, but you're about to be oh, ready. I got it. I got it. I got it. UCLA. Correct. UCLA, because of those 134 weeks, it's been number one. You want to say like 99 of them were under John Wooden, maybe even 100. How about this, though? Two other crazy stats here, and this will all be in the court report, which is going up Thursday. Duke <laughs> Duke has been number one 147 weeks. The ACC as a conference, which includes North Carolina, okay? All the times that North Carolina has been number one. The ACC as a conference has done it 147 times. Crazy, right? Insane. And not only that, Duke has more than 100 games more as the number one ranked team in college basketball under Mike Krzyzewski than it has been as an unranked one. More than two, 250 times in 250 games. It's just, it's just an aside. Like, you know, it's not much to talk about. It's just crazy. Like, that's stupid. More than 100 games, you've been the number one team versus being unranked entirely. It just speaks to why Krzyzewski has a case to being the best literally the best college basketball coach ever. And it's still amazing. Every time I update the top 25 and one, somebody will tweet me and go, ah, oh, you're overeating Duke again. Like, like, like the safest thing you can do when you're putting together college basketball rankings is just assume that Duke's going to be awesome. Cause Duke is almost always awesome. Almost. And they, you know, I don't know if they're the best team in the country right now, but they are undefeated. They are ranked number one. Um, and they are more balanced. Remember, after the Champions Classic, we talked about this. They're more balanced than they've been in recent years. At this moment, they got five players averaging between 10 and 17 points per game. Nobody averaging more than 17. Five players between 10 and 17. And Vernon Carey, 15 points, eight rebounds, while shooting 62.2% from the field. Impressive. I, always, I expect him to kill Cal and then uh, hopefully to, uh, to get a good game on Friday because I'll be in the building, so I'd like something good. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Learn Now. And please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And that'll ensure you're getting the latest episode into your phone as soon as possible. So you guys go knock that out. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. the state of combat podcast the brian campbell and while fight season may be on hold for the foreseeable future until tony ferguson and habib Nurmagomedov touch gloves at ufc 249 the soc is still moving along two to three episodes per week to give you that combat fix what can you expect the same great interviews with the biggest names in the fight game Maybe a little bit of a fun oasis from the crazy world around you. Instant reactions to the biggest news stories. It's the SOC, available on Apple Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, 
and anywhere fine audio is found. Tell them BC sent you.